Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 7 Baz didn't leave the library. Deliritus's supplies could wait. Instead, he made his way down into the bowels of Torchsire Library. He considered just going to his alcove and collapsing on his sleeping pallet for a while, but had too much angry energy for that. So he continued farther down, into the sub-basement. The air grew colder still, and he grasped the railing to ensure he didn't trip in the dark. A warm glow at the bottom of his descent guided him downward. The stairs exited into a long, narrow room. Instead of torches, it was lit by spoken, ever-glowing lamps, little glass baubles suspended from the ceiling by wire. They weren't actually ever-glowing, as they had to be renewed with spells every few months. That made them expensive, so even libraries tended to have only a few but this space required them. It was Torchsire Library's conservator's laboratory, where Liana worked on restoring books. A bit of the rage that had been bubbling in the pit of Baz's stomach subsided as he saw that Liana was there. She was sitting on a stool that swiveled from side to side, bent over a workbench. She had a spoken book open before her and a quill in hand. Beside her was a glass jar of red ink, that moved of its own accord, swirling within the container as if in a gentle breeze. Elemental ink, used to restore spoken books that had been overused and drained of their power. It was the next best thing to writing a new book, but that could only be done by a bound. No speaker had been permitted to write in hundreds of years, so no spoken books had been created since the burning. That, of course, was why the conservatory held so much influence in erstwhile without having an official seat at the table of Enya. They maintained the books that gave readers power, as well as holding close the secrets of elemental ink. The stuff was crafted in factories in the poorest sections of erstwhile, guarded by teams of enforcers. Very few were ever permitted access to the factories, and many of the poor illits who accepted, or were forced into, jobs in them never came out again. Liana must have felt his eyes on her as she swiveled around in her chair. She had a circular magnifying glass strapped to her head, causing one eye to appear hilariously large as she looked at him. Baz couldn't suppress a laugh. She gave him a weak smile in return. Back from Xavier Tower? Yeah, Liana replied. Delida was a bit hysterical. Baz grimaced. She isn't going to get any better when she hears the Duke's plans for her. Liana nodded in agreement. I heard the news, she said. About the trials, I mean. That eradicated the small bit of warmth Liana's smile had kindled within him. Yeah, I'm going on a trip. 
Bess stuck his arms out to either side in mock exclamation. Liana frowned. This is serious, Bastion. Don't they realize that Deliritus has done nothing to prepare you? Ha! <laughs> Just this morning you were talking of how woefully underutilized I am. Haven't you any faith? Liana removed her magnifier and narrowed her eyes. Bass sighed. Yeah, me neither. But it is what it is. Let's be honest. Deliritus doesn't stand much of a chance. He'll probably break a leg or something on the first day out, and I'll be back without missing a single night in the library. Maybe, she said. Bess actually smiled a bit at that. It was nice to have someone even mildly concerned about his well-being. I might still be able to get out of it. That's why I'm down here, to see if I can brainstorm any ideas. Bastion, Liana said, lips pursing. You have a duty to perform, even if it is dangerous. Don't go getting yourself in trouble. He sighed again, slumping into a chair across from Liana. I know, but don't you ever, I don't know, get tired of serving them? Liana's brows lowered over her already glaring eyes. You shouldn't be saying such things out loud. Ah, what are you going to do? Tell the Duke? I should, she replied. Life isn't always easy, Bastion, but that's the way it is. Gee, I thought I'd find you a bit more sympathetic. Your mom was a speaker, after all. Liana rolled her eyes. Many conservators are born to speakers. Don't give me that. That's how it works. The children are tested, and the ones who are bound go into your line of work, and the ones who aren't get sent to the conservatory. None of us ever get to know our parents. Bass thought of asking whether she saw the cruelty in that, but didn't bother. As he'd said before, Liana was better than most, but she was nestled into her place in society like everyone else. They'd just get into a fight if he kept talking. Why do you keep that thing in here? Baz motioned to a statue on a shelf above Liana's workspace. It was a miniature replica of the full-size one in the conservatory, a pearly white book dragon, coiled up like a snake, its head sticking up. There was writing emblazoned across its forehead in gold script. Baz made a point of not looking at it. Liana glanced at the figurine and shrugged. Good luck. Lots of conservators have one. They were servants to the scribes, after all. It's said they could even read. Baz tried to imagine a giant beast like that actually uttering words and shuddered at the thought. The conservatory gave it to me when I graduated. That's my name written on its forehead. Some stories say that's how one used to befriend a book dragon, by reading its name, which was inscribed into its flesh at birth. I've always thought they were an interesting choice for the conservators to favor myself, Baz said. Haven't you heard the stories that say the creatures could speak and read? Liana scowled. Dirty rumors perpetuated by cusses prior to the second burning. You really shouldn't repeat such lies, Bastion. A chill went through Baz at the vehemence in her words. I think I'm going to visit the retirees now, he said, standing up. Very well, Liana said, still glaring at him. But don't spend too much time in there. People already talk about it. Do they? Baz asked. That ought to have concerned him, but it didn't. He wouldn't stop visiting them no matter what anyone said. He couldn't. I'm just trying to watch out for you, Bastion. I appreciate that, he said. Talk to you later. Yeah. 
Lana turned back to her workbench, and Baz walked out of the workshop into the cavernous sub-basement beneath Torchsire Library. It was frigid and dark, but those who lived there, if you could call it living, didn't need light, and Liana at least ensured they had plenty of blankets. Baz groped along a wall until he found the pile of unlit torches kept there, then held one to a nearby brazier until it ignited. The sub-basement was a single open space that spanned the length of Torchsire Library, broken up only by large support columns. The immediate area around him was empty, which was odd. Torchsire had close to two dozen retirees, and there were generally always a few congregating around the braziers spread through the space for warmth. The Duke seemed to go through speakers at an alarming rate, often retiring them at much younger ages than other libraries. He was cautious to the point of paranoia with them, always worried they were beginning to grasp the basics of grammar that led to reading. That, of course, contributed to the library's general state of destitution, as the Duke was always having to buy new speakers. Baz, said a crinkled old voice, that you? Baz turned to find an elderly man sitting on the floor, back against a pillar. He had stringy white hair that partially obscured his face, but not enough that Baz couldn't make out the strip of fabric wrapped around his head where his eyes had once been. Yes, Gar, it's me. Good to see... er, sorry. Glad they haven't taken you away to listen to the sleeping words yet. Ha! They'll never find me. I've been exploring these catacombs since the day the Duke took my eyes. Know every dark nook there be. How are you, Baz? You sound... not quite as cheeky as usual. Gar had been down there so long, the Duke he was referring to was actually the current Duke's father, Deliritus's grandfather. Baz shrugged before catching himself and responding out loud, I've had better days, Gar. You know where he is? Over in the corner, leading another of those fool songs of his. A waste of time, if you ask me which no one has, of course. It has to be better than sitting here alone in the dark. Ah. Gar turned his head and spat to one side. I've made friends with the dark. Right. Bash shook his head, this time glad Gar couldn't see. Well, talk to you later, Gar. If I'm still here, the old man replied. Baz moved away from Gar. He hadn't specified which corner, but Baz knew. It was his favorite spot. Baz was pretty sure it was actually underneath the speaking room. He couldn't decide if that was fitting or sad. Maybe some of both. On the other side of Gar's pillar was a large group of retirees. They all wore plain white robes. At least, they'd been white at one point, but most of them were sullied and faded until at best they could be called a lighter shade of gray. Part of that was due to the fact they were all blind. It's tough to realize when you've stained your clothes when you can't see. But mostly it was just because Torchsire put as little funding into the retirees as it could, which meant unless they were falling apart, clothes weren't replaced. The fresh, white strips of cloth about the retirees' eyes stood in stark contrast. Somehow, those strips were changed on a regular basis, as if the readers wanted to be sure they never saw the evidence of what they'd done to the retirees. Most of the retirees sat cross-legged on the floor, 
swaying back and forth to the rhythm of an ethereal chanting that many of them were uttering. It wasn't quite a song, but neither was it plain old speech. It floated through the air, threatening to lift Baz out of his body and drift about the chamber. He felt himself involuntarily beginning to sway along with them. It was the language of creation, one of the many songs the man at the group's center had composed since he'd first joined the retirees ten years prior. Tax was the only retiree sitting in a chair. He wore the same faded white robe and fabric across the eyes as everyone else. His olive skin had grown paler down here in the dark, and his face showed age lines, though he wasn't yet thirty. But the only thing that stood out to Baz in that moment was his brother's voice, clear and strong as ever, but never harsh. The gossamer tune passed from his lips like silk down a blade's length, slow and precise, nearly surreal. Every now and then, one of the other retirees would miss a word or stumble over a pronunciation, but they always found their way back. Incredible, considering only about a third of the singers had been creators in their days as speakers. Tax had somehow taught them songs in other languages of the Trinity. There was no power in the words, of course, as they'd no books from which to draw power, but still, the way the sound caressed Baz's emotions. The tune went on for an indeterminate length of time. It never really stopped, just sort of faded away like a cooling breeze across Baz's shaved scalp. He couldn't have said when it begun and when it ended, but finally he realized he was just standing and swaying with his eyes closed, the tune no longer filling the chamber. He opened his eyes to find Tax with head down to one side, a smile just touching the edges of his mouth. Beautiful, Tax said in a tone that evoked the same dreamlike feeling of weightlessness that the song had possessed. You all improve every day. Practice on your own, and we'll sing again on rest day, two days hence. The retirees began to drift away to other parts of the sub-basement, a few stopping to murmur a word or two to tax, but most simply moving off in silence. They stepped slowly, but Baz was always amazed at how they almost never groped or seemed to lose their way. Baz, tax said when the last of the retirees had left, it's been days. I was growing worried. You know, Tax, Baz said, I started growing hair on my chest years ago. You don't need to worry over me like a kid anymore. Tax shook his head, still smiling. Baz felt a sudden urge to shout at him, but restrained himself. He owed Tax more than he could ever hope to repay, and then some. Shouting at him would not do. It's an older brother's duty to worry over his younger brother. But what's wrong, Baz? I hear the strain in your tone. Usually, you'd have a much better quip than hair on your chest. Burning pages. Even blind, Tax was perceptive as a hawk. Why do you do that? Baz said, ignoring his brother's question. The singing. It's just something to pass the time. Oh, stop, Tax. You're the blind one. <laughs> Tax laughed. A deep, beautiful thing that ripped a moment of joy deep from within Baz and brought a smile to his face. That's more like it. Tex chuckled to himself a moment longer before his face turned serious. It's like I've always told you, Baz. There's power in words. 
We might not be able to read them, but they haven't taken our voices. It's one of the few worthwhile things we can do down here. But, Baz said, you don't even know what they mean. Do you ever really know what words mean? What? What was the last destruction spell Deliritus had you speak? Hearing Tax utter the name brought a flash of anger to Baz's heart, but he tried to suppress it. He tried for years to insist that Tax hate Deliritus, but he always refused. A product of his environment, he couldn't help it, Tax would always say. So Baz did enough hating for the both of them. He asked me to light a candle a few months ago. Baz expected Tax to chide him for sarcasm. Instead, his brother asked, Well, what did the words of the lighting spell mean? What did they mean? Well, they... They told the candle to combust into fire and light, I guess. Did they? Isn't your will responsible for the end result? Well, sure. I mean, like you've always said, speaking isn't enough. You have to speak with intent. Baz nearly groaned at all the late nights he remembered where they were down in their room together without a book when Tax had just forced him to stare at the candle's wick, working on focus. Of course, thinking of that always reminded Baz that it had been his loss of focus that had resulted in Tax being sent to where he was now. But, Baz continued, you still need the words for the spell. Certainly, Tax said. But is it the words that have meaning, or your will that gives them meaning? Stop playing word games, Tax. It's no game, Baz. This is important. What did you feel when you listened to our singing? Baz shrugged. Peaceful, I guess? Yes. I think if you asked that same question to every retiree who either heard our song or participated, you'd get a similar answer. So, which of the words we sang told you it was peaceful? Baz glowered at Tax, which was completely ineffective since he couldn't see. But he said nothing, as he had no answer. That, Tax continued, is the whole point. The words permit you to express and teach and feel. You don't always have to completely understand them for them to have purpose. For an instant, that sounded like an incredible revelation, as if Baz was on the verge of grasping something profound. But it quickly slipped away from him. Here, Tax said, I want to show you something. He began to roll up his sleeve, and Baz gasped. He rushed forward and tried to push the sleeve back down, as if there were anyone around who could actually see. But Tax pulled back from him. There were words written on his arm. Not just written, but tattooed. Permanently. They were flowing and smooth, so they must have been of creation. Tax, what in the burning is that? It's some of the words from the song you just heard. It's my favorite. And he said, voice heating with a fire it rarely held. It's a reminder that they haven't taken everything from me. Perhaps it's only a single word in a book of countless pages, but I can still stand up to them in this small way, even if I'm the only one who knows. The determination and 
anger and loneliness all wrapped up as one in Tax's tone took all the anger from Baz, hitting him so hard that he slumped back until he was sitting on the floor in front of his brother, as the other retirees had been. It didn't even occur to Baz until much later to wonder how Tax had managed to write the letters so perfectly in his blind state, or where he'd gotten the tools with which to do the tattooing, or how he'd learned to write at all. You're not the only one who knows, Tax. I do, too. I know how strong you still are. Tax exhaled several times and nodded his head, then rolled down his sleeve on his own. Thank you, Baz. It's good to know I'm not alone. Alone? You've got all the retirees. Perhaps, Tax said, voice soft, as if his mind were somewhere else. But more often, it feels as if they have me, but that I have no one. Except you, that is. They sat there in silence for a time, Baz swallowing hard on the pain caused by Tax's words. Finally, Baz said, Delida was hurt today. Is she all right? She will be, I think. There was a Cityless captured by the conservators. They brought him here because they thought he could read. Called together all nine libraries for a questioning. A Cityless who could read? Tax murmured, as if it were a wondrous thing. Yeah, I saw him, though I only got there for the very end of the questioning. He was raving something about a declaimer's transcendence and someone who would speak words for freedom or some nonsense like that. He'll speak the words to set us free, Tex murmured. Baz narrowed his eyes. Yeah, that's it. How'd you know? Dad. He used to tell me a story some nights when I couldn't fall asleep. I don't remember most of it, but it was about the Enigma, Pront v. Lextor. He survived the burning, or so the story went, and before he died wrote a spoken book that didn't seem to have any actual spells in it. Instead, it just made predictions. It was burned when Actus Torchsire led the second burning, destroying any writings that weren't in the possession of the three cities' ruling libraries. But a little girl saved a few scraps, ripped them out before the book was taken, and she spent the rest of her days searching for the meaning in that line from the book. He'll speak the words to set us free. Huh, Baz said. So he was mumbling about a bedtime story while he was being tortured? Tex lowered his brows, which made Baz a little uncomfortable knowing that his brother was trying to glare at him without eyes. Dad always told me it was true. Baz didn't want to press. Now wasn't the time for an argument. Well, anyway, the Cityless managed to get free, and he hit Delida in the throat before Rox, well, did what Rox does. She won't be speaking anytime soon. But the trials, Tex said, they start day after tomorrow. Does that mean... Yeah, Baz sighed. Deliritus is saying I'm going with him now. I'm still trying to figure out a way to get out of it. Actually, I was hoping you might have some ideas. Get out of it? Baz, this is wonderful. It's our chance. You go with Deliritus to Tome, find a book and secret it back and bring it here, and then we can... Tex, stop it. Books aren't just lying around in Tome. 
the place was picked over centuries ago. You know that. There's a reason they only send young idiots like Deliritus there searching on the trials. We'll be lucky to find anything at all, and if we do, you can be certain Deliritus will be watching it like a hawk the whole trip back. Or, more likely, have rocks guard it the whole way back. Besides, what would you do with a book anyway? You can't see. You could read it to me. Baz's back stiffened at the suggestion. Sure, Tax had tried to teach him that once, but he'd spent the past ten years swearing he'd never find himself in a position like the one he'd put his brother in. He intended to die with his eyesight intact, thank you, and he had eliminated anything that even suggested reading from his life. Baz avoided even relating stories he'd heard others speaking on the street for fear he might be accused of having read them somewhere. I couldn't do that, Tax. You did a great job and all with me, but we didn't have enough time before, well, you know, and I've pretty much forgotten it all since then. Tax's enthusiasm didn't seem phased in the least. Well, you must go anyway. If you never grasp at an opportunity for want of a better one, you'll never find one. Tax, come on, where's all that brotherly concern now? Hellar Xavier is competing this year, and some girl from Colnar Library who I suspect has a pretty sick relationship with pain. How safe do you think I'll be with them trying to stop Deliritus from reaching Tome? Baz, you have to do this. If nothing else, maybe you'll find a way to escape. Escape? Baz exclaimed. And leave you here? Tax. I'd never do that. His brother gave another of those smiles to the side that infuriated Baz. But it was fleeting this time, and he turned an imploring expression back to him. You must go. Do it for me. Baz sighed again. There went his last hope. Fine. Not as if I have much choice. And that being the case, I'd better be going. Deliritus is expecting me to pick up some supplies for this fool's errand I'm apparently taking with him. Be positive, Baz, and remember what I told you. There's power in the words. Right, Tax. Baz rolled his eyes at his brother, but then leaned over and hugged him all the same. I'll see you soon. I look forward to it, Baz. Well, at least one of them had something to look forward to. Baz had what he fully expected to be a month or more of misery, pain, and likely frustration ahead of him. A trip out into the wilds with only Deliritus and rocks for company, to face the dangers of the unsettled country, not to mention the duplicity of the other competitors. And the reward for reaching your destination? A search through the ruins of Tome, Oration's lost capital city for yet-to-be-found spoken books all while avoiding the fire-breathing worms and dragons that had taken up permanent residence there. Yes, the Actus Trials were bound to be piles and piles of fun. Alright, so chapter 7, uh, hope you enjoyed that. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. This is episode 6, and uh, it is February 17th, 2022, as I record this. 
Um, as always, a few personal updates here, and then we will launch into our discussion of a, a pretty significant Chapter 7 here, uh, right? Uh, shoot me an email. Let me know what you what you thought of Chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> but uh, for me, um, it's kind of a, a week of many accomplishments here for me. I'm, or almost accomplishments, anyway. Um, nearly done with my edits for uh, Part 3 of the Spoken Books Uprising. Uh, remember, I do those uh, by hand. Actually, for those on YouTube, here's a little sneak peek here. Um, uh, no, I'm not going to let the camera focus on it anyway, really. No no spoilers here, but uh, here you can see all my, uh, my chicken scratch red lines there on book three. Um, <clears throat> so that's going well. I think I decided I was just putting my newsletter together. Uh, earlier, I'm like 94% of the way through, like chapter 34 of 36, or maybe a little less than that, because there's, there's actually a prologue uh, to part three, my first, actually the first prologue I've I've ever written, so uh, you, have look, you have that to look forward to if you're uh, in it for the long haul here at the book club. Um, and then uh, also some other news, uh, the, de- the cover for Declaimer's Discovery, which is part two of the Spoken Books Uprising, so the book will be reading together once we finish up the Actus Trials here. Um, that is underway with my graphic designer, and um, we're just uh, fiddling with a few final things on that, and then that'll be ready to go, and I think I'm going to do a reveal of that in the newsletter uh, in a couple weeks. So uh, if you want to see the cover, uh, definitely uh, hop over to dtkane.com and, and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, like I've said before, that's just uh, uh, once a week on Fridays. Um, I always try to give you something free in there. Um, you know, it's like I said on podcast episode one. You know, I I'd love to sell uh, lots of books, but I'm also I also just want to get my stories out to everyone. So the the more folks I can uh, communicate with here through the podcast or the newsletter, uh, the more people who can hear the stories. So that's a win for me. And uh, the uh, that said, <laughs> anyone interested in, in part two of Declaimer's Discovery, that's going to be coming out um, April 15th, and it is available uh, for pre-order now if you'd uh, like to get your orders in now. At least the ebook is. Uh, I can't put the print book up yet until I actually have a, a cover for it. At least I don't think I can. I haven't looked into it very hard, but anyway, <laughs> the ebook is up for pre-order now if you're interested. Um, let's see, uh, non-book news, uh, started training for a half marathon this week. That's going to be happening, uh, in May. I used to be, uh, a lot heavier than I am now, and I've kind of taken up running in the past few years as a way to stay healthy. So, uh, I, I, I've run the half marathon distance several times, but never in an official race. Um, COVID is mostly to thank <laughs> for that. I wasn't in a position where I could run half marathons until uh, after COVID hit. So, but uh, the one in May uh, is an actual race, so I am uh, looking forward to that and uh, hoping it warms up here uh, soon. I'm in uh, in the western New York area, so it's still pretty uh, cold and dreary here. Though Our, the temperature has at least uh, poked above forty here the past couple of days, so uh, you know. Hopefully winter is uh, on its way out, but um, <clears throat> if you've ever been to western New York, you know that uh, we get about three or four false springs before the actual one, so um, 
<laughs> I'm not holding my breath on that. Um, let's see. On, on the reading front, still reading the same books as last week. Uh, Vlad Taltos, uh, The Book of Zureg, and listening to The Silence uh, of the Lambs. Uh, probably be wrapping both of those up here <clears throat> soon, so should have some new new fiction uh, reads to report to you either, either next week or definitely the following week. Um, and just a couple housekeeping items here. Uh, I have, uh, in the past few episodes, I've started putting names up, uh, of characters on the screen uh, during the analysis section. Um, I had some people suggest, um, putting them up whenever I mention them, but, uh, <laughs> one, frankly, that's a lot of work in the video editing process, and it already takes me a long time to edit the videos for YouTube, um, and the audio too, um, so... Um, but I am putting them up the first time I mention them during uh, analysis, so if you can't really tell what a particular name is, uh, if you watch on YouTube, you can see them. And I'm also uh, putting all the names in the show notes, both on YouTube and for the podcast, so you can uh, jump down to the show notes if you need to clarify the name of a character <coughs> in the episode. Uh, and finally, uh, make sure to remember to submit your quest answers. Um, there is still time. Uh, we'll be going over all of the quests um, on the first episode in March. So let me pull up my calendar here. So the first episode in March will drop <coughs> on Monday, March 7th. Podcast comes out every Monday for those uh, who haven't uh, realized that yet. So actually, let's say uh, Thursday, February 24th get those quest answers in so a week from today as I'm recording this February 24th and uh, we'll go over the answers and uh, see who uh, is the first winner all right so let's hop into uh, chapter 7 uh, here now obviously uh, kind of a, a big surprise here about middle of the way through and we'll get to that in a minute <clears throat> but uh, first we start out uh, Baz uh, going down to the basement he's uh he is, uh, you know, I think upset is probably <laughs> the right word. He just had a fight with uh, Deliritus, and he does, you know, he thinks, you know, this is, I think I said last week, this is kind of like the, the next worst thing to kind of just being sentenced to death as far as he's concerned, going out on the trials. Um, you know, so we don't, it's not entirely clear why he's going down to the basement yet. Uh, you know, initially it looks like he's going there to see Liana. And, you know, he does immediately feel better um, when he sees her, right? Puts a smile uh, on his face and she's got this big, uh, like the big magnifying glass on one eye helping her uh, restore a spoken book. Uh, so you can kind of picture the <clears throat> slightly humorous scene when she turns around with the huge, the huge magnified uh, eye, right? Um, you know, and just... Uh, just more evidence of maybe the uh, the bit of the crush that that Baz has <clears throat> going on with Liana. Um, right, and we talked about this last week uh, as well, um, and I think I said I couldn't remember if uh, the book had actually gone over this yet, but uh, we definitely get it here, this point that uh, no new spoken books are being made because only uh, bound, so fo so people who are born with the ability to pull power out of the books. Only the bound can create <coughs> spoken books. And since all the bound are turned into speakers and never taught to read, uh, they don't know how to write either. So no new books. Uh, so that drives home, you know, another 
another point of emphasis for why the conservators are still so powerful, even though they don't really have any say, uh, at least any official say, in uh, the government of erstwhile, because, uh, you know, they hold all the power for keeping the books working, you know, with their uh, restoring, and uh, they hold the secrets to the elemental ink as well, which we learned is created in uh, factories that are kind of tightly guarded by the conservators, and they kind of conscript uh, poor commoners to, to work in the factories, and lots of them never never come out. So that's mysterious, and we'll learn more uh, about... Sorry, there's a uh, horn outside, if you... Uh, <laughs> If you heard that on the uh, on the audio there, but uh, we'll learn more about that actually in uh, in the next book. We'll actually uh, see the inside of a ink factory in in part two. So uh, stick around for that if if you're interested. That'll be uh, probably be starting that in the later half of 2022. Uh, yeah, I was doing a little math. I think sometime in June <clears throat> we'll be finished with uh, reading the Actus Trials here on the podcast and moving on to book two. Um. But right, so, you know, Liana does show some concern for Baz, right? You know, <laughs> you know, he kind of chides her because she's concerned. And she's like, oh, you were just lamenting, you know, a few chapters back, Liana, how I'm so underutilized. But, uh, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> she's she's worried, just like Baz is, that he is not uh, sufficiently <clears throat> prepared for the trials since Deliritus never uh, uses him for speaking. Um, but you know, there's also, and well, and I will say, you know, Baz does does notice it, it's nice for someone to be even a little worried about him, right? Because you know, we've seen Baz doesn't have, Baz doesn't really have too many friends. It, it doesn't seem like you know we got that offhand comment uh, back in the scene in the receiving room how none of the other speakers really talk to him because they don't want to associate with the brother of uh, someone who turned out to be a cuss, right? So yeah, a bit of loneliness going on there. So you know, another reason you can see why he is. Uh, uh, attracted to anyone who, uh, you know, <laughs> shows him anything more than, uh, you know, uh, passive uh, contempt. So, but uh, there's definitely some conflict here between him and Liana, too. You know, as Baz says, she is nestled into her place in society like everyone else. Uh, and, you know, she criticizes him, you know, despite being worried, she criticizes him for uh, trying to get, saying he wants to get out of the trials. Uh, shirking his duty, I think she says, or something like that. <clears throat> um, so, you know, she definitely, uh, you know, she's friends with Baz, but she uh, she's kind of a straight arrow, right? She's not looking to, to break the rules here. Baz is a speaker, and, you know, he's got to do what the readers say. Um, an interesting point there, we learned that Liana's mother was uh, a speaker, um, though that apparently isn't common, right? You know, we haven't uh, really seen how speakers are discovered <coughs> yet, but uh, Baz does note that children are tested at a young age, right? And if they turn out to be bound when they're tested, uh, they become speakers. And uh, those who aren't go to the conservatory. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a lot of vagueness there. So is it, obviously, not every child either goes to the conservatory or becomes a speaker because... Um, we have the common uh, illets as well, so there must be a little bit to it more, a little bit more to it than that. Though it's probably a pretty good bet if you test uh, to be a speaker, you you're going to be enslaved no matter where you're from, because we can we see how uh, concerned society is with keeping that separation of powers between the people who are bound and able to pull power from the books and uh, 
and the elite reader class who who know how to read but cannot pull power from the books. Um, so that's a whole another interesting layer ripping uh, ripping young children away from their families, right? If they're uh, if they test a certain way, so uh, another uh, another demerit against the land of oration here, <coughs> and uh, you know uh, what's the series called, right? The spoken books uprising so you can maybe see some groundwork being laid here for why there might be an uprising uh, at some point here though obviously we are not there <laughs> yet baz would be happy to stay down here in the basement it would seem rather than uh do anything that might suggest a rebellion um and we also see again a uh, another statue of a book dragon right this time it's a smaller one <coughs> uh than the one in the conservatory liana has it display on display in her workshop uh, she says it's a, a kind of like a good luck charm for the conservator. The conservatory she got it when she, when she had her initial graduation there and became a librarian. Uh, and she notes that uh, at least stories say that book dragons could actually read, which uh, I, that seems plausible, I guess. Right? Remember we saw the book dragon back in the prologue. He could talk, so uh, I guess maybe it's not so incredible that they could read uh, as well. And um, there's even there's even this legend that Liana brings up. Book dragons have their names tattooed on their foreheads. That's interesting. You know, Liana says her name is is written on the uh, the head of the book dragon statue <clears throat> that she has there. And Baz, of course, is careful uh, not to look at it because he does all he can to uh, avoid being associated uh, with being able to read. But there it is. And uh, apparently, if you read a book dragon's name aloud, that's how you uh, make friends. Uh, with them, so a bit of interesting lore for the for the world uh, here, but also maybe uh, maybe an implication that book dragons they weren't friends with everyone, right? Just people who could read. If you couldn't read their name, uh, they were um, at least it would seem they wouldn't become friends with you. So uh, interesting point there. Maybe the book dragons weren't quite as uh, you know altruistic as the one we met in the prologue seemed. So. Store that away. Um, we'll see a book dragon again here uh, in the story. So um, not just dwelling on this for for uh, for personal interest <laughs> reasons. This will be a little little bit relevant. Some of this anyway later on. Uh, Baz, right? He also chimes in that oh, he's heard a story that book dragons could read and speak. Which <laughs> of course Leanda doesn't like that. He's basically calling the conservatories. Uh, good luck charm a, a cuss right and, you know of course they wouldn't have a big statue of uh, a cuss in in the conservatory so you know baz you know maybe putting his foot in his mouth here a little because they kind of uh him and liana part ways here with obvious uh <laughs> obvious tension between them um but baz goes off into the the darkness uh of the sub basement to go visit the retirees right and uh now Liana's like, you know, don't don't spend too long over there. People people notice how often you're visiting them. Uh and Baz uh you know, Baz says, Oh, that ought to concern him. Uh but it doesn't. You know, and you wonder a little why well, why does it doesn't really say why that should concern him. Um but you know, we kind of see that uh <laughs> in a in a minute here. You know, Bess says he's not gonna stop visiting them no matter what. And you know, why is that? And uh well, we we all know why here, but uh, <laughs> before we get to the chapter's big reveal, let's just uh, go over uh, Baz's meeting with Gar first, who is uh, the older 
retiree he meets before the rest of them. Uh, you know, and it's uh, you know it's dark when he goes down to the sub basement. He's got to fumble around for a torch, and we kind of learn pretty quickly why why they don't bother with any lights down there. It's because all the retirees are blind. They've got these cloths <clears throat> wrapped around their heads where their eyes uh, should be. Uh, and uh, you know, you know, remember a few chapters back, um, you know, we learned that the retirees are retired speakers, right? So when speakers outlive their usefulness, they are apparently blinded and sent down here into the dark. Um, you know, why? Why is that? Not not really clear um, at this point. You know, what does losing their usefulness kind of really mean? Uh, you know. You know, Baz, Baz noted a few chapters earlier that the retirees are used for breeding, right? So the libraries are still trying to create new new speakers, you know, again, just an, another uh, point on how uh, demeaning the readers are uh, toward their speakers. But, you know, you'd think there's probably more than that, right? Because we saw that, uh, uh, you know, at least Octavidal, and I think we've implied that other readers do this too, you know, they blind speakers that they're still using, so, you know, just, uh, you know, blinding isn't reserved just for these retired speakers who are, um, <clears throat> who have outlived their usefulness. So there must be something more to the reason why these speakers are uh, kind of tossed into the darkness to be forgotten. And we'll learn more about that as the story goes on. Um, another interesting note here that we learned, Torchsire apparently has more retirees than other libraries. And uh, Bass says, Octavinal goes through speakers at an alarming rate, um, right? You know, um, you know, is this just because Octavinal is particularly cruel? Um, you know, like I said, he's obviously not a nice guy, but, you know, he blinds speakers who, uh, who he's still using. So, you know, what's the, what's the deal here? Especially since... Uh, you know, Torch Tire doesn't really have money to waste, and Baz notes, you know, speakers are expensive. You know, this is one of the reasons that uh, <laughs> Torch Tire is, is down on money. they got to keep buying new ones because Octavinal keeps retiring them uh, faster than most others. Uh, so seems there's probably some reason here just beyond a fear of maybe them learning to read. Though, you know, Baz does seem naive to this. I'm, this is me reading all into this, right? Because Baz is just like, well... They're tossed down here when they've outlived their usefulness. It doesn't seem he's perhaps thought it all the way through like we are here. Um, you know, so he meets Gar. He's a uh, kind of a uh, this older older man just leaning up against a column. The uh, old codger, <laughs> right? And I gave him a nice uh, nice gravelly tone when I was uh, reading the chapter earlier. You know, he's been down there so long that uh, the duke that uh, retired him was uh, the duke before. Octavinal, Deliritus' grandfather. Um, and, you know, Baz seems pretty familiar with him, so more evidence that Baz is down here a lot. And did you notice that uh, Gar actually called him Baz? Uh, you know, in, you know, in like dialogue tags and stuff, we call him, we call him Baz. But uh, Yeltax, his brother, was the only other person we've seen actually call him by that nickname uh, aloud. You know, even Liana calls him uh, Bastion. Um, you know, and, you know, we also see that Gar, you know, can like immediately tell <laughs> just by Baz's tone that he's, uh, he's a little, he's kind of feeling down, right? So, you know, just more evidence, you know, Baz comes down here a lot. 
and you know Baz is like you know do you know where he is Gar um you know and Gar tells whoever tells him that whoever he is is you know he's leading another of those fool songs of his and uh who <laughs> who is this who is Baz talking about and uh so we finally we finally get it right last week remember I told you there's going to be a big surprise here in the chapter and here it is uh Yeltax is not dead <laughs> he is still alive and uh you know, suddenly we see why Baz spends so much time with the retirees. It's because his brother is one of them. Now, uh, I, I am really interested to hear uh, what you think. I think my editor actually commented to me that uh, this <laughs> this twist here might have uh, might annoy some readers. So I'm interested to hear how you reacted to this. Were you uh, were you surprised, or did you see this coming? You know, I, I mean, I won't lie. I kind of did some things to lead you to believe that tax might be dead but if you go back and read carefully uh, you know i never actually say that <laughs> you know we hear about tax's uh pain screams a few times and you know bass talks about what deliritus did to his brother uh but we never say uh uh tax was actually killed um also back in chapter four there was a little bit of foreshadowing you know very subtle here but you know baz is talking about uh, Helfax Erstwhile, who is the founder of the city of Erstwhile, which the story thus far is taking place in. And Baz, uh, you know, he noted that, you know, well, Helfax couldn't have been all bad because he had a crippled brother that he took care of. You know, and then Baz immediately chided himself for, you know, for thinking of that. And, you know, it wasn't <clears throat> entirely clear at that point why Baz was kind of uh, berating himself for thinking like that. But now we now we do see, right, you know, he was... You know, he, he has basically a crippled brother, right? So it's not something he necessarily wants to be thinking about. Um, so, you know, again, you know, let me know what you thought of this. Was this a satisfying surprise, or did you feel like I was hiding the ball from you or cheating here a little? Uh, I hope you didn't feel like that, but uh, I'm also constantly looking to <clears throat> improve my writing craft here, so I'm... Uh, Happy to hear some uh, uh, criticism as well, as long as you you keep it relatively gentle. <laughs> so so definitely write me at dtkane uh, at dtkane.com. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, okay, right. So um, you know, not only is Tex uh, one of the retirees, he seems to be their leader, right? You know, all the other ones are just kind of standing around or sitting on the floor. And, you know, let's just paint this picture here for a minute, you know kind of kind of eerie a little little even surreal uh right you know texas he's the only one with a chair right so he's kind of in the middle and you know, all the other retirees are circled around him you know it's dark you know baz has a torch and besides that you know it's got kind of like braziers full of coals kind of scattered out through the sub basement and you got all these people in just white dirty white robes and you know linen wrapped around their heads where their eyes should be you know a little bit uh, a little bit haunting and they're all standing around in a circle singing a singing a sad sad song too it's it's slow and precise uh we read in the text and you know almost uh almost kind of enchanting right you know baz as soon as he starts hearing it he starts swaying along and you know involuntarily kind of gets lost in the music uh you know puts him in a trance almost uh a cooling breeze across Baz's shaved scalp. So calm and calm and ethereal. You know, Baz says he didn't even realize when it ended. 
just all of a sudden kind of realized he was still swaying back and forth and and the music was just over um you know I mean, the music the song does finally end and kind of the gathering <clears throat> breaks up and we're just left uh, left alone with uh Baz and his brother here in Texas still the older brother right you know he's uh <laughs> he is uh he's worried about Baz you know you haven't come to visit me in a few days i was uh, i was concerned uh, you know, Baz, of course, with his uh, typical, <clears throat> one of his typical responses, you know, I started growing hair on my chest years ago. <laughs> Baz tells him, you know, stop worrying, big brother. Uh, you know, and then Baz kind of, uh, you know, uh, deflects uh, Tex, asking why he's not uh, feeling good or why he's feeling down. You know, you know, why the singing, Tex? Um you know why? You know why do you do that? <clears throat> you do that all the time. You know, and Tax tries to now. Now, t- now Tax tries to evade the question. Right? No, it's just a pass the time, Baz. Um, you know, but Baz pushes, pushes him. You know, I'm not. You're. <laughs> you know, again, Baz obviously feels uh, very guilty, right, about his brother. Um, and we'll get to that. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit in a minute here. But um, you know, still, uh, <laughs> still got the sarcasm. You know, when, when Tax tries to, you know, play play a da- play down the singing, you know, you know, you're the blind one, Tax, you know, <laughs> Baz says, you know, tell me tell me what's really going on here. Um, you know, we're, we get a little bit, uh, we're waxing poetic here, talking philosophy for, for a second. Baz's brother seems to, he's, he's full of high ideals, right? You know, there's power in words, Tax tells Baz, and, uh, you know, uh, like I said, you know, getting a little philosophical here, but um, you know, we also we get a little bit more description of what speaking a spell actually entails, right? You know, and this was something I had to uh, <clears throat> make a decision on very early on when I started writing uh, the Actus Trials. But I have not pulled a Tolkien here, right? I have not written my own languages. There are <laughs> there are three different languages of the Trinity, right? Destruction, creation. And influence, uh, I have uh, I have not <laughs> created a lexicon or a dictionary or anything for them. In fact, uh, we know we don't actually see specific words at all. Uh, I, you know, I I went the route of you get to imagine the languages through through my descriptions of what the words sound like. Um, instead, I thought at the end that was that was a better way to do it. Um, and frankly, I am not interested <laughs> in creating my own language so that's uh i would have i wouldn't have written the book if i had to do that so uh so there you go but we do learn from Tax's questioning of baz that uh you know the, the words of the trinity don't they don't necessarily have black and white definitions like ordinary words right um let's see this is a the quote here <clears throat> from Tax's. The words permit you to express and teach and feel. You don't always have to completely understand them for them to have purpose. Uh, and I, I think this, you know, I know, and I know I'm, I'm sitting here uh, kind of saying that I like like my own writing, right? But, uh, you know, there are parts of my writing that I don't really care for, and maybe I should, uh, maybe I should pull some of those out in future episodes as well. But this one, I, I like this little passage, uh, there's a lot here. Uh, first, this this is applicable to the real world, right? You know, this is uh, why language and, and reading uh, are so important. They you know they let us express feelings, uh, help us teach and pass on knowledge to others, 
And it's also one of the reasons this world is so cruel, right? Uh, this world being uh, oration. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, because the benefit of uh, words and language are denied to so many uh, people here. And that's, you know, that's kind of a meta-level idea here behind the, the whole the whole book, this uh, this idea of uh, oppression through uh, you know hoarding knowledge is is in the background of of this story and really the whole um, the whole series and you know we've even <clears throat> you know we've seen that even throughout world history right where that's you know that's one way you know autocrats and and dictators and you know when small groups of po- people try to maintained power that's uh you know you keep the uh you keep the common people uh you know as ignorant as uh, as you can if uh if you're one of those dictator like <clears throat> rulers and it's kind of the same thing here right you know obviously this is in the uh <clears throat> this is in the frame of a fantasy novel so it's magic being denied to to most people but uh you know you can uh you can look at it as a bit of an allegory too right uh, uh i suppose so um interesting interesting there at least at least i think it is that's why i wrote it right <laughs> um but uh you know second the second interesting point here and and more uh more pertinent to the immediate story is that tax's songs are in the languages of the trinity right um and it seems the retirees are learning all three languages uh since all of them seem to sing all of tax's songs regardless of what language they're in. So, you know, does this mean Tax is trying to teach them how to speak all the languages? You know, Baz takes care to point out, you know, there's there's no power in the songs, right? Because um, the retirees don't have any books. Um, you know, but what if they did get their hands on some books? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, they still wouldn't be able to see them, right? <laughs> to know what spells were in them. But, uh, you know... Uh, you know, think think on that. You know, again, like I said before, you know, uh, you can bet that most of the if something seems interesting, I didn't just put it in there because it's interesting. It's going to be relevant um, at some point, and I guess you can you can probably surmise that if I'm talking about it here in the book club, that uh, <laughs> it probably has some relevance as well. So uh, just uh, keep keep the songs in mind. Uh, they will be important here uh, as well but yeah the importance of song in a society where most people uh, don't know how to read interesting you know and uh you know baz baz seems close to sort of a revelation here but then text kind of like confuses him into letting the question drop uh, so you know we don't get the full answer yet um you know there is another very subtle point here though just before we move on you know, since the words of the Trinity don't have distinct distinct meanings, you know that that might imply that these languages are a little harder to learn than ordinary speech. I I guess uh, I think you could look at it like that. Um, you know, you can't just do a direct translation uh, of them. So you know, if you've got someone who knows the ordinary <coughs> speech, it's not as simple as saying, "Well, you know, you know, this word is 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 this in in destruction or or creation." It, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, we, you know, we saw that, um, uh, the Phoenicians, I don't know, one of the first written languages now, it's totally blanking, blanking me now, I am not a, a linguist or 
a historian of language by by any means but uh you know until we got the uh you know the 25 or now it's the obviously the 26 character um alphabet the only the only kind of systems of writing were extremely complicated um you know so you had to be you know you kind of had to be a scholar <laughs> or at least someone in a position to get a lot of education um before you could learn to to read and write so maybe we've got a bit of that here where you know um, obviously, the readers uh, hoard knowledge of the of reading anyway. But even if they weren't, you know, there there's kind of a higher bar to entry to learning the languages of the Trinity than just the Lord learning ordinary speech. Uh, all right. Uh, so you know, like I said, Tex kind of confused. You know, he confuses Baz a little, but then he also completely distracts him uh, by you know he rolls up his sleeve and oh, <laughs> he's got a, he's got a tattoo. And, uh, you know, it's a tattoo in words of the Trinity. Uh, Tax says it's uh, it's uh, words from creation, actually words from the song that uh, the retirees were singing when Baz first came up to them. And, you know, <laughs> Baz, you know, Baz, you know, he, he gasps, right? He is he is aghast. Um, you know, Tax is basically walking around now with evidence that he's a cuss, right? You know, he <laughs> tattooed the incrimination right onto his arm. Um you know, and I remember how Liana reacted when imagining someone who could, you know, speak, um, you know, or who could read and write, uh, you know, and, you know, so this is, it really is like, you know, almost, almost just as bad as, you know, committing murder and then just writing your confession in, you know, in ink on your arm <laughs> for everyone, for anyone to see. Um, but, you know, Tex's response to Baz's concern, you know, there's uh, the rebel in him hasn't totally died, right? You know, you remember back in chapter one, you know, Baz, you know, we've got to stand up to the readers, and that's why I'm teaching to read. So, uh, you know, I can't think of any better way to take care of you than to teach you the, the power that the books hold. That's kind of what Tex told him back in, in chapter one. You know, and regarding the tattoo, uh, you know, Tex says, you know, I can still stand up to them in this small way. Um, you know, and maybe this, this even plays back into perhaps why he's teaching the songs to the retirees, right? You know, is he, uh, you know, he, is he getting them ready for an opportunity in the future when they might be able to, you know, have, have an ability to speak actual spells or, or, you know, maybe have someone else speak spells to them if, if they know the languages. Um, so, you know, I, you know, maybe some spoilers here, but I'm not giving you any specifics. And like I said, you know, if, if, if you're digging into this, you got to know this is setting up something for the future. Um, you know, but we also, you know, despite the rebel that we see here in Tex, obviously uh, hasn't been all good for him. You know, his tone is a mixture of determination and anger and loneliness all wrapped into one. And despite having the other retirees, he, he feels alone. <clears throat> you know, it, it feels as if they have me, but that I have no one. Tex, uh, Tex says, so, um, you know, it's not a, definitely not all happiness here, you know, Tex is, Tex is a blind man down in a, down in a basement, and he's been down there for 10 years now, you can, you can imagine the kind of toll that, that takes on him, um, and Baz definitely feels guilty about this, right, you know, this, you know, this show of loneliness brings these feels, feelings of guilt to the surface for Baz, you know, he you know he notes he notes that you know it was it was his loss of focus that led to that led to taxes uh, blinding. 
fixing a typo here in the script because uh, I do I post the script my script uh, on uh, my website dtkane.com uh, so if you're ever interested in uh, kind of seeing the notes <clears throat> that I'm reading off of here those are those are in blog posts attached to the uh, to the video of the uh, of the podcast <clears throat> each week on, on the website if, if you're ever interested in checking those out so uh, if you hear me occasionally typing it's because I'm uh, <laughs> correcting something in the script for when I post it later um, but right, so you know, Baz Baz blames himself here. You know, it was his loss of focus that led to Tax's blinding. Um, and remember, that's a reference to back in chapter two. You know, Baz forgot to turn the page, right? And that's what resulted in the spell failing and the woman tripping and knocking the flagstone loose and revealing that book that Tax had stolen. Uh, you know, and you know, Baz tries to reassure his brother, right? You know, he is he's a good little brother, right? He comes down here and visits uh, Tax all the time and. I know how strong you still are, he tells him. Um, but still, obviously, he's upset all these years later. Um, and another interesting note here, Tex doesn't seem to hold any grudge against Deliritus, right? You know, he's a product of his environment, uh, Tex tells Baz, um, which obviously this doesn't satisfy <laughs> Baz, right? You know, so Baz did enough hating uh, for the both of them. So, you know... Maybe do we give Baz a little bit of a pass for kind of his childish behavior with Deliritus uh, in the chapter, <clears throat> uh, chapter six that we read last week? You know, you can see, yeah, Baz, Baz has a lot of reason to really not like Deliritus. You know, he kind of took away Baz's whole family because Tax was his only only remaining family, and Deliritus kind of ruined that. So, you know, definitely uh, uh, definitely a lot of bad blood between the two of them, at least on Baz's side. You know, Deliritus maybe seems a little more willing to kind of try to patch things up with Baz, but Baz certainly has no interest in that um, thus, thus far that he's exhibited. Baz did enough hating for the both of them. You know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of vitriol, I think, packed, <laughs> packed into the, packed into that one sentence there. Um, right. So, finally, they get around to talking about the cityless who was captured, and Tax seems pretty interested in that, right? Um, you know, oh, a cityless who could read, and uh, uh, and interestingly, to Baz's surprise, he's actually also familiar with those words that the cityless was shouting, right before he charged. Uh, Deliritus. You know, I did kind of suggest to you a few weeks ago, you know, maybe we'd see, you know, the city list wasn't just raving mad, and uh, here we go. Apparently those words he was, uh, he was saying, you know, he'll speak the words to set us free. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's from a story called uh, The Declaimer's Transcendence. Um, it's a kind of a bedtime story, right, that, uh, Baz and Tax's dad used to uh, tell the Tax when he had trouble falling asleep. And it went something like, the, the Enigma survived the burning. You know, the Enigma, who would prompt the Lextor, right? Our, our friend from the prologue. So he survived the burning and wrote a book of predictions. And Declaimer's Transcendence was one of those predictions. Um, but that book was destroyed, save for just a few scraps that a young girl... I uh, was able to save from it, kind of ripped him out before uh, before the book was burned. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, Baz is like, I don't know, so he was, <laughs> the guy was shouting about a bedtime story? 
uh, before he attacked Leertus, but uh, Tax is like, no, Dad, Dad always told me that story was true, Baz. And, uh, you know, Baz kind of just drops it because he doesn't want to argue uh, with his brother. But but interesting, what would this city list be doing screaming about, um, you know, kind of this, kind of like a fable, right? Um, so, hmm, let's keep that in mind. And uh, we get another quick reference to the second burning here as well, right? Um, that's apparently when this Declaimer's Transcendence was destroyed. You know, we saw this referenced earlier. So we had the original burning, which we've established as, you know, what was happening in the prologue. You know, the, that's where the, the city of Tome, which was Oration's capital, was, was destroyed. Um, and we had this period after the burning where apparently illits were permitted uh, to read. And that uh, ended with the second burning when any writings not in possession or of Oration's ruling libraries were burned. So that's kind of like, uh, that's when the power of the libraries was really consolidated, right? Um, any books that weren't in the library's possessions were destroyed in the second burning. And did you, uh, did you catch who led the second burning? Uh, a guy named Actus Torchsire. So, okay. So now we, uh, now we see uh, why uh, the trials that are coming up here are called the Actus Trials, and it's like, oh, it's <laughs> the name of the book, right? You know, it's like whenever you, uh, <laughs> whenever you, uh, you hear that in the movie, you know, you point at the screen, oh, oh, we said it. You get the uh, the uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, uh, meme going from uh, uh, the Hollywood movie. What was that called? Uh, Once upon a time and Once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> pointing at the screen. Um, yeah, so there, there it is. There's the title of the book. Um, you know, and it's also interesting that Actus Torchsire is, you know, obviously uh, the namesake of Torchsire Library. Uh, it would seem, and you would seem to think that would make Torchsire more of a notable library than it is. So why have they, uh, why have they fallen so far? Um, okay, right. So then we get into the last little bit of chapter seven here, and we get uh, Tax's reaction <laughs> to Baz going on the trials, right? So obviously talk of the cityless inevitably leads to talk of how Delida was injured, and Baz is now going on the trials. And we actually, <laughs> we finally see why Baz came down here in the first place. Obviously it was to visit his brother, but he's like, you know, Tex, I was, I was hoping, uh, you know, big brother, you have any ideas how I could get out of this? And <laughs> you know, Tax is... That, they are not on the same page with this, right? You know, what an opportunity, Baz. <laughs> Get out of it. This is great. You know, it's our chance. You know, again, we see the rebel in him here. Um, you know, maybe even more evidence of what he's planning down here in the dark. You know, bring that book, bring a book back and, and read it to me. You know, he tells Baz. Um, and, you know, obviously Baz is not nearly as optimistic as his brother here. You know, you know it's not like there were books just lying around Tome tax you know the place was picked over centuries ago um and i guess we haven't really thought this through until this point yet but that makes sense um you know books are really valuable here and the burning happened 300 years ago so it's not surprising that that tome has been picked over <laughs> time and time again looking looking for different uh books especially since we know that books are a finite resource now not new ones are not being created and, uh, you know, just this is more emphasis, too, of how difficult the trials are going to be, right? It's going to be dangerous just to get there because, you know, the wilds have, uh, you know, dangerous creatures out there. And we've got the competitors who uh, 
we're trying to get a leg up on the other folks and we learned that you know the competitors might even target each other's speakers so at least Baz isn't uh isn't safe uh heading to tome and then you get you get to tome and then it's a it's a ruin that's been scoured for hundreds of years already for books so like Baz said they're not just laying around um you know it's also interesting you know Baz suggests here that he hasn't read at all since tax um was blinded so uh you know it's been left up in the air. Well, did ta- did Baz go on with his education after his brother, um, you know, had his eyes ripped out there in Chapter 2? And it would seem no. You know, Baz says he has eliminated anything that even suggested reading from his life. You know, and he, you know, for all the guilt he feels about tax, he doesn't want to join him, right? And, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to die with my eyes intact, Baz says. Um, you know, but uh, this is kind of like, this is the last... Uh, this was Baz's last gasp, right? Um, he's kind of accepted now that he is going on the trials. Um, you know, his brother brother basically makes him promise he's going to go, and uh, and that's it. So we're launching <laughs> launching into uh, the rest of the story here. You know, and tax you know tax says if if you never grasp an opportunity for want of a better one, you'll never find one. Uh, you know. That's uh, kind of just good general life advice. Um, and, you know, Tex, the philosopher here, kind of uh, waxing away again. But I like that. If you never grasp an opportunity for want of a better one, you'll never find one. So that's, you know, if you see an opportunity, take it, is what that's uh, what that's really uh, saying. If you, if you keep waiting around for, you know, like the best, the best opportunity, it's never going to come. Because every time you get an opportunity, you're like, oh, well, there's got to be one better than that coming down the road. So, yeah, act. <clears throat> act, capitalize when the opportunity arises. Um, you know, and Tax is like, you know, well, maybe, if nothing else, Baz, maybe this is a chance for you to escape. And uh, Baz is like, well, you know, I would never leave you, Tax. So, you know, Baz isn't, again, Baz's not really interested in escaping. At least he, that's what he says here. Um, but we'll have to see. So that ends <clears throat> part two here. Um Chapter 7 is the last chapter of Part 2, and we'll start on into Part 3 of the Actus Trials next week. Uh, All right, so some homework. We'll be reading Chapter 8 next week. This is a a bit of a a shorter chapter. We've had several, you know, pretty long episodes here. I didn't really think the episodes were going to be going over an hour every week, but they really have been since Episode 1. Uh, but this, I, I do not think <laughs> next week's will go over an hour. Chapter 8, we'll be reading. Uh, everyone is getting ready for the trials. It's the, the day everyone is leaving. Uh, Liana wishes Baz farewell, and she gives him something. Uh, what do we think of that? And um, we also see Baz briefly interact directly with Rox. So we're going to have a, a very quick scene where uh, Rox actually is not right with Deliritus. Rox is kind of by himself. And um, we see a, a bit of a discussion back and forth between the two of them. So interesting to see how, how they react. And again, uh, every time we see Rox, you know, I'm interested to hear, uh, are your opinions changing about him at all? For the better, for the worse? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, obviously, obviously I, I know, but I don't know your uh, opinions. So I would, uh, I'd love to hear them, dtkane at dtkane.com. 
Um, this week, no listener questions this week. Will ran a little dry. Uh, so definitely, definitely get those questions into me. You know, you could, uh, drop them on the Facebook page, uh, as well. In addition to, uh, emailing them to me, if Facebook is more your speed, I am uh, at DTK author. You can like the Facebook page, uh, over there. Um, so let's see, this week's quest, and like I said at the beginning, get your quest answers in by next next week, which uh February 24th, get those answers in for all of the quests I've assigned uh, through episode 6 here. Um, and I, you know, I, I left out another potentially interesting connection between Tex's tattoo and something from earlier uh, in the book uh, when we were discussing the tattoo uh, earlier in the episode, so... Uh, if you picked on that, if you picked up on that, let me know. So again, you know what? What's another potential connection between Texas Tattoo and and something else we saw earlier uh, in the book? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I think this is a trickier one, but I'm not sure. But uh, three experience. So this is the first three experience point qu- uh, quest I have given. So uh, maybe that'll motivate you to get your answers in here. And last. But not least, we'll leave you with a quote. I'll leave you with a quote, and I'm going to start talking about myself in the third person here. Um, <clears throat> but this one comes from uh, Robert Heinlein, uh, science fiction author, right? Not a, <laughs> not quite fantasy, but, uh, you know, similar vein. So I, I'm going to, I'll take quotes from sci-fi authors uh, as well. And this is from uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. And the quote is, Love is that condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. Um, maybe a bit, a little bit sappy, uh, maybe, but it was just Valentine's Day, right? And, you know, we definitely see some brotherly love going on here between Baz and Tax. And Tax's, um, <clears throat> Tax's uh, sadness certainly wears off on Baz, so I think this quote, this quote is applicable to this week's reading. I, I try to at least vaguely connect the quotes uh, to the reading we do each week, at least that's what I've been doing so far. Uh, love is that condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, all right. Uh, and I will say too, if you have any fa- favorite fantasy quotes, feel free to uh, email them to me, and uh, I might use them in a future episode. So uh, that's a wrap for episode six. And until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Do they? Baz asked. That ought to have concerned him, but it didn't. Concerned him. Hmm. I started growing hair on my chest years ago. You don't need to worry over me like a kid anymore. Tax shook his head. Tax, tax, tax. Oh, it was burned when Actus Torchsire led the second burning, destroying any writings that weren't possessed in the possessions of the possessed of the three cities' possessions. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell 
so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.